BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. This week's guest is a poker legend, Phil Helmuth, who has just won his record 15th gold bracelet on the World Series of Poker. Phil and I met at a social get-together, and as we were chatting and he was actually heading for the door, he told me about all the things he was working on outside of poker. One of them included a book called Hashtag Positivity, about how to live a more successful life. And he asked what I was up to. I told him about when to jump. And I'm not kidding, three hours later, we were in his living room and talking all things related to taking a jump, how to live a successful life, to what you can learn from poker in your everyday, day-to-day life, as well as as you prepare your own jump. He brings it, and in this episode, you're going to really feel like you're at the table with us uh, in his living room in Palo Alto. You have a, a book out recently called Hashtag Positivity. We will dive into that uh, in a little bit, but I want to start with where you start with the book. You describe, and I'll quote you in the introduction here, you said, when I was a child, my mother taped a sign to our bathroom mirror that read, you are what you think, you become what you think, what you think becomes reality. And I'm going to repeat that. You are what you think, you become what you think, what you think becomes reality. And that sign, I want to say, informed my life. I mean, I think informed is an interesting word in this context, but definitely inspired my life. Um, And that sign was up there. We had uh, seven people in our family. I have four, one brother, three sisters, two parents, all living on the same floor in Madison, Wisconsin. Nice house. But there were no bedrooms downstairs. We all took showers in the one bathroom <laughs> on the second floor. All of us. And so imagine seven of us taking a shower every day and that sign just would wither away after, you know, a year. It would be all yellow and dingy and we'd look up and boom, there's a new sign. You are what you think. You become what you think. What you think becomes reality. And it kind of made me think, well, if I'm going to become what I think, why shouldn't I be the greatest poker player of all time? And my brother thought, if I'm going to be a lawyer, why not be a super lawyer and have 47 attorneys working for him? And he does, Helmuth and Johnson. And my younger sister, Molly, thought, if I'm going to be a scientist, why not be one of the best? And she was, you know, top 30 scientist, under 30 in the world. Um, Climate change, does, you know, Molly Helmuth. My other sister, Carrie, said, all right, if if I'm going to become what I think, I might as well become a world-class cyclist. And when they started the first Team USA for cycling. She was about to be on it. And then she crashed. She was in the top three of a race uh, at the Giro d'Italia, which is a monster important race. And she crashed and, you know, broke up her leg really badly after spending seven years dedicated to cycling. I remember my sister Carrie, who 
has her law degree calling me and saying, I just spent two days trying to convince a company to give me $50 worth of bars. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then, and now she's in Italy and she just finished a PhD in economics. God knows why she's going that direction, but, but it's great. So, and, and my family was taught, you know, to think big and to think that you can do great things and then therefore do great things. And I think there's a huge correlation and so we all have really big goals in the family. My other sister, Anne, is a Special Olympian and has had enormous success in both Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics. Incredible. So going back to the Phil Helmuth Jr. jump in Madison, Wisconsin, in the mid-80s, poker was not exactly the thing you go and leave college to do. Might as well jump. Do you have to pay for the lyrics? Might as well <laughs> jump. Might as well jump. <laughs> Walk us through what that was like, because that was not exactly an obvious choice, right? Like, where were you in life? What were you doing? Easier moment for me, I suppose, uh, than most, because I was already on the path. So, you know, I remember when I was 20 years old playing in a poker game at the Memorial Union uh, at the campus of the University of Wisconsin, beautiful, right on, you know, Lake Mendota there, just beautiful place. And and I walk in and... and Someone invited me to a game, and they're playing with Austrian coins. Now, back in the day, <laughs> chips were made out of, like, these red, white, and blue plastic things everybody used. And poker was two cards down and one up. Seven card stud, man. And they're playing with Austrian coins, and they're playing a game called Hold'em. And the, and the Moore Union hated it, and the director hated it. You could smoke pot there, but you couldn't gamble. <laughs> Come on, man. That's ridiculous, you know? I mean, we couldn't have our little $5 buy-in game. And, uh, but we did, and it was well disguised. And so I kind of found a game there, and the next thing you know, I was moving forward in college, and I, and I took a job you know, at the Primate Center cleaning monkey cages every morning, four hours a day, five days a week. I mean, I was literally spraying crap. Didn't really want to do that, but my dad kind of helped get this job for me. And again, what it did do is I was able to get up. So I didn't know that I have sleep apnea and, you know, I just knew that I had trouble getting up for stuff and that I had ADD and that I was fighting everything that I could fight that would never measure properly my intelligence or what I could do in school. Because if you have, if you have ADD and especially it's more active till the age of 25, 26, you really can't listen, you know, um, and sleeping was a huge issue for me. Um, and so you know, to actually have to get up at 7 a.m. and go to work was kind of like very hard for me. But again, that allowed me to um, make my accounting class on time. And for the first time in my life, I was studying and I felt like the ADD was starting to dissipate just a little bit. Right. It, it, we didn't take anything back then. Mm -hmm. And now I guess it's called ADHD. And you'd have to spray it and then spray it five minutes later once it soaked in and spray it again five minutes later after that. You clean the whole place up literally... 300 cages or whatever, a couple hundred cages, and then it would get all messy again when I started throwing stuff right away, their food and whatever. And so there I was, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., the first time in my life I had to get up in the morning. Uh, and so because of that, I actually went to college and went to my classes on time, and I managed to pull off a 3.78. Very, you know, very happy, and I said, all right, this will show the business school that I can get good grades. I didn't before, but I can get them, and now I'll get in. And I didn't get in. That was a cloud at the time. But the, the silver lining was that I found I started playing a lot more poker. 
looking down the path of my future and knowing that I couldn't get into business school, then what? All right, I could graduate and get a job that paid 22000 a year or wait. I already have $22,000 in cash in the bank. From, from poker winnings? Right. Might as well do that. Okay. Might so, as well do that. Wow. <laughs> and how, how old were you? What grade were you in in college? I was 20. 20. And when I was in junior year, I couldn't make it into business school. I couldn't take accounting classes. I liked accounting and philosophy, which is poker, accounting and philosophy. I love it. And so, you know, and so then, you know, there comes a moment where I'm making money playing poker and, you know, you, you move from the little game. Whenever you find a game, there's always bigger games. And found myself at age 20 playing with a bunch of guys that were doctors, lawyers, professors. And I was taught to respect education. My father has a MBA, a JD, and a PhD. I mean, tell me somebody that has a JD, an MBA, and a PhD. He has so many letters after his name. So I was taught to respect that. And here I was um, playing with a whole group of these guys at age 20, and they were between 40 and 60, and I'm winning all the money. I remember one night I won 2700 bucks, And then I started traveling around and you know, uh, around the Midwest playing in games. And then it was Vegas. And I remember I told my dad, you know, dad, I'm dropping out of school to be a professional poker player. And that was akin to being a drug dealer to him. (laughs) He didn't understand. And poker wasn't on on TV. A lot easier for the kids in 2003, 2004, when poker went wide to say, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to give a shot at poker. They'd be like, all right, whatever. If you don't make it, you can always come back. But it was an unknown then. What was worse for your dad? You deciding not to finish your degree or going into poker? Both. But imagine you're the oldest of five. All right. And your dad has all... My dad works at the University of Wisconsin, worked there. And he has all these degrees. So he was just expect... Had great expectations for me. You know, Uh, especially as the oldest of five, you know, you're not going to get away with anything. I mean, if I was the youngest, I could have probably gone and played poker. He would have been all right, whatever. But I'm the oldest, and so all the pressure and all the fighting that occurred because of that between he and I was very intense. And then, you know, he decided to come watch me play in the main event in 1989 at the World Series of Poker. I kept telling everybody I was going to win it. And this was three years after you, mm-hmm. you leave? 1989, yeah, about three years. And what was, what was keeping you going, I guess, from the point where you jumped past your dad's, you know, wishes and hopes for you to stay put. What, you know, that's a pretty big decision to make at 20 years old. What, what got you through that? Crushing. Well, the decision wasn't really made maybe till I was, I'd say 21. Um, I made the decision maybe 22, but I think 21 where I decided I'm, I'm done. And yeah, that's, that's kind of like what kept me going as I was beating all the local games. I was crushing the professors. I was crushing the doctors and lawyers and then I'd go to Vegas, and I was slowly losing my money there because Vegas is filled with hometown, was filled with hometown champions. Everybody that made money and became the hometown champion went to Vegas to play higher stakes. Right. Natural, normal progression. So there, I really cut my teeth, and uh, you know, and I had a bunch of losing trips, and I struggled with losing a bunch of casino games, blackjack, craps, bakara, <laughs> you know, and really games you can't win in the long run. In and, you know, kind of got all that out of my system when I was 21, which is great. And, um, you know, and fast forward to my father coming out to the main event in 89. You know, I kept telling him, don't come, don't come. I'm going to have to ignore you. And he comes and 
I said, well, if you're here, Dad, you might as well come get me at 11 a.m. at the Golden Nugget. <laughs> Knocked on the door. I shouted him because he forgot part of my food. He had the bananas and he, he had the oatmeal. Or, and he had, he had like the three or four things I wanted, but he forgot orange juice. And I yet, like yelled at him. <laughs> dad, the orange juice. <laughs> Here's my dad, you know, like a, huge, like a very high up college administrator. Came up to support his oldest son. Is getting his son up at 11 a.m. and his son's mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, but whatever. And, and I told him, I'm, but I warned him I was going to be a little bit difficult to deal with. Make it through day one. He's not allowed to be anywhere in the room. Make it through day two. Make it through day three. And now the stories are developing. Johnny Chan, the two-time reigning champion, is going for number three. And I told everybody on the planet that if the only person that I would make a financial save with would be Johnny Chan. <laughs> And somehow, some way, it ends up the two of us. I'm playing for the youngest winner in history, and he's playing to win three in a row. He won the main event in 87 and 88. And you're and, 24 uh, at the time. And I'm 24, but he's only 28. Wow. 29, 30. Yeah. And I leaned over and I said, after a few hands, I said, listen, I'm going to play perfect poker. You're going to have to play perfect poker and get lucky to beat me. Wow. And 32 minutes later, it's over. And this company no one had ever heard of was there called ESPN, was recording it. You know, no one had heard of them back then. And so it was just a most amazing moment when that last card is dealt and your hands go up in the air. And I can watch it on the internet now. I could click, go to YouTube, and it shows my hands going up in the air. But after seven or eight seconds, I'm turning. Where's my dad? Because he hasn't been in view for four days. He's running up the. But there's a million dollars in cash on the table and uh, 750000 for first. I'm like, no, that's my dad. Let him through. Gave him a big hug. And that oh. moment is an amazing moment. Me achieving my dream of winning the main event at age 24, hugging my dad. And then fast forward 10 minutes later, there's all this press. And I see my dad saying, well, my, my wife thought Phil was unusual because he counted rows of corn and noticed how unusually they were <laughs> I was into some random interview and I just smiled you know I'd won the 750,000 which is a lot of money this is 1989 it's a lot of money today too and uh you know and to to have that bracelet on my wrist to be world champion I mean that's the one that everybody wants that's the one that we're going to have 10,000 players in this year yeah. and uh and just a wonderful feeling and uh and of course, the one thing I told my dad is, all right, if you're coming, we'd had a months long discussion, I'll buy you a new car. So I bought him a new Mercedes. Wow. Then right after the series, I met this amazing woman who was in medical school. And then I married her. <laughs> and now she's a doctor out here at a major university. She doesn't like it when I reveal which university. But we've been happily married 28 years. So dad was happy because... I married a doctor, cha-ching, that's a check mark for him. <laughs> I bought him a new car, that's yeah. a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I won the main event. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> if you had not won, let's say, you know, you, you, you place fifth or you get some cash and that's that, would your dad have felt the same way of, hey, this is what Phil wants to do, let him go do it, or would there have been more conflict? There would have probably been more conflict. Um, I think right before I had told him I was going to go public or right after. So you're talking about August 1988. I flew out to L.A. and uh, finished second in a tournament for about 70000 against the great Eric Seidel, who's still a great player, still in the game. And then uh, the main event, 
um, I ended up winning that as well. So I walked with $220,000. This was in August. Just had a nice meal, and I think I ordered a big bottle of Dom Perignon and spent some money because I just won. I think I was able to call my parents and say, hey, I'd already told them second in one tournament and then first in this one, and it yeah. was a, like a really big one. I think at that point is when my dad's like, maybe he's meant to do this. How good did that feel? It felt really good, but not nearly as good as when he was there for the main event because that was just like kind of like the validation of the path I'd chosen from my father in that moment and, and you know, to be the center of the poker world and achieve your lifetime goal. I mean, just all... And to have him there yeah. from going from screaming at me to don't play poker to supporting me and giving me a hug after I won yeah. poker's biggest event. We had talked about this a little bit earlier, but whether you're winning or not, it's almost less important than are you showing up or not, right? Absolutely. Showing up is, I mean, that's, that's a concept I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I, I, I flew down to Florida to play a tournament because I show up less than everybody else on the world poker tour tournaments. Right. Because my life is so full. I have all these appearances I make. I'm writing books. I have amazing friends. And, you know, I want to keep my marriage. So, yeah. You know? And so, but I but I felt like, all right, this is the first time I'm going to go for player of the year on the World Poker Tour. And so showing up is half the battle, you know? I showed up to the Bicycle Club, the event that I won in 1988 that I just described earlier in this interview I showed up to. Now, I went back there in 2017. Wow. And I was walking back. They have, have, they'd have that, that section closed off for a few years. Well, I walked back and I said, this is the table. This is the exact spot. And I remember thinking, wow, there's some good energy here. And then I finished second in 2017 with 700 and some players, a lot more players. Wow. But it was, it was great. I was kind of the center of the poker world because everybody's trying to watch if Phil could win a, a WPT. Could you tease out a few things that listeners could take home just from this conversation that they can put into not just you know their life, but maybe what they're thinking of jumping towards, how they find success in it, that you talk about in hashtag positivity. So we'll go to the title, hashtag positivity, you're always in the right place at the right time. And that one is very interesting, and you and I shared a discussion about this earlier today when we met. And I'm going to say that one of the chapters teaches exactly that, that people in the world, really, not, I think 90 percent of the world doesn't understand they're in the right place at the right time and so I have a chance to really help millions of people and what I like where I like to go with this is uh, I think I can do this in a minute or two you have a guy sitting around the dinner table three kids lays out the perfect strategy for a sports bar I would do this and this and this and everybody's kind of awed wow that's great and he says Martha please pass the piece meaning he's done then you have somebody else laying a sports bar out on a table in front of, again, three kids and a wife, mm -hmm. perfect sports bar. But he says, you know what? Tomorrow, after work, I'll go buy my favorite sports bar. And that's why there's a picture of a door on the cover of the book, Hashtag Positivity. Because that guy walks into the door of the bar. Forget the door of the bar. He's actually opened both the door, but also a figurative and a literal door. And who knows what great things could happen. They're both in the same place. But one of them understands, let me just walk through this door, all right? Maybe I'm in the exact right place at the right time. And he's giving himself a chance to find out. And what can happen behind that door? Maybe the best case scenario is the, 
is he meets the owner of the bar and the owner of the bar says, I'm thinking about getting out of this business. I'm going to sell you my bar over a series of whatever, a couple of weeks, right? Maybe the bartender's like, man, no one showed interest in a bar in my bar and I'm really glad you're there and I'm 70 years old and my kids aren't interested. You know, I'm going to teach you exactly what to do, you know, and becomes a mentor. Maybe the guy helps him with money. The point is, and then maybe at the far end of the spectrum of those eight doors that appear after the door of of actually, you know, walking into the bar, maybe one of them is, wow, I didn't realize I had to work 70 hours a week and be there at closing and opening. I don't like this dream anymore. But at least you've moved forward. And you can see opening one door leads to eight more doors. What's the next door? Then you choose another door. And all of the world's most successful people understand that they just keep walking through door, 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 door. And it doesn't always lead to great things, but oftentimes it does lead to great things. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's letting yourself, I mean, we talked about this in my book, and we talked about this earlier today. It's putting yourself in a position to open doors and seeing what happens, but you don't get to open the door if you're at home getting the peas passed to you. Yeah, Martha, please pass the peas. That guy is you know, still sitting at home somewhere, right? Yeah. He sits 30 years later, 20 years later, and he's still having Martha pass the peas. You know? yeah. He's not out there jumping, as you would like to say. He's yeah. not out there opening doors, as I would like to say. He's not out there pursuing his dream. Unbelievable. All right. Give us another little bit from hashtag positivity. Yeah. Another one is very simple. I, this is one of my favorites, but um, it's very simple. It's you basically write down your yearly goals, yearly goals. So for 2018, here are my goals. Maybe it's 10. Tape them on your bathroom mirror. It informs your day. Um, that's another chapter. So you have two. Another chapter is very simple. Write down your blessings and tape them on your bathroom mirror. So now imagine... You just heard two chapters very quickly. You get up in the morning, all right? You go to brush your teeth, and there's two two pieces of paper, you know, like regular normal pieces of paper. For me, I would I would use a computer, and, you know, I talk about that, just how to kind of get that set up in my book, Hashtag Positivity. But use the one list informs your day. This is what I'm really trying to do this year. And the other list is why I'm lucky. Why should I be in a good mood? Oh, that's and at so the ble- and I would tell you the top of the blessings list is always health, you know. And so if you have good health, put that at the, that's always at the top. And so you know, and then it's for most of us, it's family. Um, but but yeah, think about that. You're and at the bathroom mirror, and whether or not you look up and you know and actually look at the sign every day or not doesn't matter. Your mind knows it's there as you're brushing your teeth, and after a month, you won't even see the signs, but they're still influencing you. Phil, lastly, to end on, craziest is this real life story from you because you live a pretty crazy life. What is it? Anytime you've been like, is this real? It, it happens all the time. I've, I've had it where, um, where I'm being inducted to the Poker Hall of Fame and I look and you know, I'm what, in my 40s and everybody else is in their 80s. You know? And I'm just like, is this for real? Live on ESPN, just me and then... And I'm going to the Poker Hall of Fame. What? I look at, you know, just a lot of surreal stuff happens to me when I go to events like the Kentucky Derby. It just, it seems like A-list stars migrate to me. I don't understand why. Um, I, I have think, that problem too. Just kidding. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and I'm like, is this for real? And I'm like, honey, <laughs> is this for real? They want to hang out with me? Um, and so it's just been kind of a very uh, weird journey. And I look up and, 
you know, I'm sitting on the floor of a finals game and Floyd Mayweather is like, hey, Phil, you know, let's make sure we hang out. And Tony <laughs> Robbins is like, hey, how's it going, Phil? You know, uh, text me, you know, and I'm like, Tony Robbins, I love Tony Robbins. And he's been amazing to me and, and just a great world leader for positivity and thoughts. And, and you know, it's just, it's weird who, you know, the people that you end up, I mean, you know, George Bush Sr., I met him in Europe, and, you know, he's like, hey, Phil, would you like to have a beer? And I'm like, what, George? You know, because the Secret Service, they were all my fans. George <laughs> Bush Jr., I, I don't know how this happens, but I go to the Super Bowl in Dallas to put hearing aids in kids, and my friends are like, we're going to the George Bush Library opening, not the public one, the private one with all the senators and Roger Goodell and all these guys. And I don't know how I'm in that room. And I'm the only one in there that didn't have a beautiful suit on. I don't know how George Bush uh, Jr., or, or however you pronounce it, you know, holds my book up and says and tells Condi Rice, Phil's one of the best poker players in the world, and starts asking me questions. You know, I don't know how, you know, uh, President Clinton, how I'm emceeing President Clinton's, the Clinton Foundation events and hanging out with President Clinton. You know, I don't know. I just look up and I'm like, oh my God, this is cool. And, you know, and then you're riding, you're on this amazing kind of rush. I don't know how, you know, I, how Tiger Woods and I will, how I'll emcee his event at Tiger Jam and how he and I will smoke cigars and drink and play high stakes blackjack and then go backstage and hang out with the artists the next night, you know, and just have this amazing kind of like, I don't know how this stuff gives. I don't know how I can run into Michael Jordan just walking down the hallway and coming up on him fast, you know, and, and, and I'm looking at behind him and I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm not going to bother him. Slam my sunglasses on and blow by him and say, hey, Mike, hey, how's it going, MJ? Just give him a head nod. I don't know how I then, I don't know how then, I'm, I don't know how then I, and, and he nods back. I don't know how then I walk another 15 steps forward, moving 90 miles an hour, turn and take another 20 steps and open the VIP door and MJ's run to catch up with me just to say hi. And I'm just like, wow, what the, I mean, it's just weird what? stuff, you know? That I don't know. I don't know. Unbelievable. How I, I don't know how then the next day I wake up and my friends emailed me, President Obama's in the neighborhood. He's asks how you're doing at the World Series of Poker, you know, this after the MJ thing and it, that I know that I can laugh at myself, and for those people that think I'm cocky, uh, I can laugh at myself and say I walked around. All I wanted to talk about the next 15 days was MJ and Obama, <laughs> and you know, and I played like shit at poker and didn't cash in a single tournament, and it wrecked me. You know, uh, just getting too. So I try not to let these things in too much. I don't feel too cocky, even though I just. Talked way too much about amazing things. Well, I, no, I, I I opened that door. I asked you. I think that's you seem to have perspective on it, and you're not, you know, everything's uh, what is it? Everything in moderation, including moderation. still at least twenty or thirty percent of the people listening to this podcast can say feels too cocky, and that's okay. I I don't mind. I mean, but it's something you work on, you know, and and uh, I think I just enjoy it and appreciate my life. It's been really nice. Phil Helmuth Jr. Live from Palo Alto, California, in your living room, you've given me literally several hours of your time for no other reason than you find, thankfully, this discussion and When to Jump interesting. I cannot thank you enough for, for joining the When to Jump podcast, for coming on. This is one of the most fun conversations, 
most wildly interesting conversations I've had on the show. So thank you for joining me. Everyone check out hashtag positivity and hopefully we'll see you next time uh, to come back on the show and join us again on the when to jump podcast. I will 100% come back, Mike. I've had fun. I think that, you know, there's a lot of correlation between when to jump and positivity and we both see it and it's been fun. And you and I just kind of met each other on Monday. It's Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. That will do it for the When to Jump podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Shout out to everyone who has reached out to us to share their jumps. We now share jumps and shout outs in our newsletter. We got a dedicated section that comes out every week. So go to whentojump.com and sign up for the newsletter there. You can follow us on social at when to jump across all of the social media uh, channels and accounts and handles. And we hope to see you at Jump Club Boston this fall, September 7th and 8th. More information on the website. My name is Mike Lewis. Thank you for joining the show, and I will see you next week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.